It is good to see you today. Glad you've come to be a part of our worship service today. We appreciate our young worshipers this month. Throughout the month of February, many of you have seen. They've greeted you as you have come in. They've read scripture and uh, had prayer and sang today, so we appreciate them. In fact, uh, some of them have already heading out to Children's Church, but how about a word of applause of how our children's ministry has served us this day? As part of our young worshipers, they've, been, uh, they've had things that they have filled out and things happening in the worship service as well. Even had uh, the preacher and others sign their books. So I've, give, I've been able to give more signatures out. How about the only time I've ever had to sign a book? But anyway, uh, and if they came to worship all of this month, and I think they've got a trip to the aquarium planned. And guess what? We've been more consistent this month than about just about any month that I could remember. Maybe we just need to continue that or give you all a trip to the aquarium if you keep coming to church, either one. Would you find in your Bibles, John chapter six, gonna be reading verses 51 and following. John chapter six and verse 51. Uh, we have begun an emphasis last week and it's gonna be happening now for the next couple of weeks. Hopefully not just for those weeks, but to continue about who's your three. We have for the last three or four years talked about who's your one. And so it has become kind of part of conversation uh, with Parkway people as we talk about maybe somebody being baptized, they'll say, that's my one, or I'm inviting my one, or I'm praying for my one. We understand it's the person that you know who is lost or unchurched that you're praying for, seeking to invite, seeking to encourage, and maybe share your testimony with. We've kind of upped it up, upped it this year. We kind of upped our game to where we want you to be maybe three, or at least one to three, or even more certainly could be had, but uh, we encourage you to be part of the Who's Your Three. We started last week and through this morning service, I don't know, maybe 60, 70 that we have here in front of us who are committing to pray for uh, one to three people and to invite and to encourage. And at the end of the service today, you will be asked as part of our uh, song of commitment that if you would like to put a name, you might put uh, initials. It may be you don't know anybody who's lost or unchurched. Hard for me to believe that. If you don't, let me introduce you to some. But, uh, but you might just write, I'm praying about this, and that would be okay, and that'd be a commitment as well. And then later in our service, you'll have opportunity. If you'll keep one part, take one part here, put names, same names on both of them to remind you, and you can lay it on our altar as a part of your commitment that you have before the Lord. We'll encourage you to do that, and we pray that our culture will just... Step up and believe this is one of mine. This is one of my three. This is somebody that I'm praying for. And it is part of our DNA, part of what we do, that we're always seeking to reach new people for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as well. We are in John chapter 6 today as part of our theme for who's your three. John chapter 6, begin reading in verse 51. I encourage you, find the Bible, find your smartphone so that you have it before you. Sometimes we put all the verses on the screen a little bit more lengthy passage today. Some of the verses will be on the screen later, but I encourage you to lean in with somebody so that you might be able to see as we read along. Verse 51 reads like this. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Verse 60 reads, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing himself, the disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew that from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Please keep your Bibles open as we will continue to look at some of these verses and some of those surrounding it. Well, I want to give you a warning today that as you come into this place, that before you leave this worship service, you'll need to make a decision. In fact, it may be that you'll be on one side or the other, maybe one extreme or the other. For you will need to decide today if you're going to continue to seek the face of Jesus, continue to grow in your faith and follow him ever more steadily and want to do his will. Or you will decide today, if you pay attention today, that this is not what you want, that you will not want to go forward in spiritual progress. You will not want to grow in faith. You will not want to give your heart and life to Jesus for the very first time. If you pay attention, you'll need to decide this is just that kind of passage. It is interesting to me that as we looked in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke last week, we talked about Jesus where he had was at a dinner party and there he told three parables. And one of the parables he told was about master of the house who had prepared a dinner and prepared a banquet. And he sent all the invitations out for those who were to come in and all gave excuses. So he told the servants and had them go out into the streets and the highways and the hedges, invite others to come in. In fact, he told them in the parable, and Jesus is telling us even now when it comes to the kingdom, he said, compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Now, here we are in John 6. Jesus used descriptions and words that he's going to use that he knows will cause the crowds that were following him to fall away and follow him no more. Well, the story reminds us something that Jesus said, that many are called or many are invited, but few are chosen. For God's kingdom to truly grow, the real gospel has to be known, it has to be believed, it has to be shared. It's not about the crowds, but it is about the truly putting our faith in the risen Lord. Would we like our church to be full all the time, every time we gather together? Certainly we would, but it's about the kingdom work, but we want our house to be full so that everyone might be able to hear the truth and more and more people might decide to become genuine disciples of Jesus. Now, as born again believers, we are to be growing as disciples of his who are walking with him daily and becoming more like him. And the great commission tells us we're to make disciples of all nations. Well, there was a class discussion that we're discussing the fact, are all Christians disciples? One part of the class argued that uh, while some people are saved, not all are growing and learning, so maybe all should not be called disciples or considered disciples. Another 
group decided that all Christians are disciples. While not everybody's growing at the same pace and some we don't see much of their fruit, everybody is considered a disciple. Some are just lousy at it. Well, this passage seeks to answer that question in a different way. Not, not just are all Christians disciples, but is this perhaps not all disciples are Christians? The original 12 disciples were not all true believers because we know there was the betrayer, the deceiver, who was amidst them in the name of Judas. Nor were those called disciples in the passage that we just read. Since we're talking about discipleship today, let's first be sure that we understand from our passage today how that word disciple is used and to whom is it about. We read it a moment ago, but look at verse 60. John 6 and verse 60 says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Verse 61 says, But Jesus, knowing in himself that his, his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then verse 66, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Well, who's Jesus referring to? He's not referring to the twelve. They weren't the ones who were grumbling. They weren't the ones who said... This is too hard, and they certainly were not the ones who turned and followed him and no longer followed him in ministry. But not all, notice, even though it says his disciples, not even all his disciples are true believers. It may be kind of like that parable that Jesus told. You know, the one about the four soils, to where the seed was thrown and some of it was on the hard soil and it was quickly gone, took no root. Some fell on stony ground that had no depth, and when the sun came up, it withered away. Some fell upon the thorns and it was choked and it produced no crop. But some fell on the good soil and it produced a crop of 30, 60, and 100 fold. Well, as that parable pictured four kinds of soil, this passage recognizes at least three kinds or three types of disciples or so-called disciples. You've got your notes there. You may be wanting to follow along on some of these or you see these in the passage, but one of those we're going to call the deserters. The deserters. Now, to understand it, we must put it in the context of Jesus' ministry, or maybe as some of you might recognize, we need to listen to the background music because there were cheering crowds at one point that suddenly turned to kind of a dramatic grumbling all in a matter of moments. And Jesus in this chapter was at his height in popularity. In fact, John 6 is kind of a long chapter, and it begins with the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus fed 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children, five loaves and two small fishes. It's one of our favorite miracles to tell. It must be because it's in all four Gospels. And when the people were finished eating and realized what had taken place, well, they wanted to make Jesus king. And they had seen that Jesus had, must have crossed the Sea of Galilee. This is when he came walking on the water. But they walked around and came and they found Jesus at Capernaum. And they followed him the next day. Because some had heard about the miracles of Jesus, but many had been part of the feeding of the 5,000 and they came to see Jesus. They wanted to make Jesus king. In fact, Jesus could have become the political king at that very moment, but his kingdom was much greater than this world. And up to this point in Jesus' ministry, there are large crowds that followed. John chapter 2 and verse 23 says that many followed because of the miracles that he did in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's kind of south of the land of Palestine and so he had many crowds from the south. And John chapter 4 and verse 1 tells us that, the, that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, baptized more than John's disciples. So many of the crowds flocked to see him, not only from Jerusalem, but also from Samaria and also from the north in Galilee. Now, don't misunderstand. There were some true believers among the crowd, but to follow after Jesus 
or to be religious or even to be in church when everything is going well or maybe when it even is popular and things are good does not necessarily mean that you have a genuine relationship with Jesus. Many followed after him not just because they saw the signs but because they showed that he was the Messiah but because they'd been fed. This truly was a hungry group of people to where they lived in a culture where every day was a struggle to be sure that they had food to eat. And here they met Jesus who could bless a little bit of food and feed thousands. Well, Jesus told them not to work for the food that was perishable, but for the food that would last, that would endure for everlasting life. They said, give us this bread that comes down from heaven. Jesus told them that he was the bread of life who has come down from heaven. The attitude of the crowd began to turn when he said that he himself was the bread of life. And they said, well, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his family. How could that be? Jesus turned it up another notch and told them that as the bread of life, they must eat of this bread to have eternal life. And they went from murmuring, murmuring to quarreling and took it very literally. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they said. Then Jesus went even further and said it at least four times. In order that you might have life and that you might have eternal life, you must drink my blood and you must eat my flesh. Now we know that Jesus was not talking literally but symbolically about his sacrificial death on the cross, but let's admit it. As you read it today, it sounds a little bit uh, morbid maybe, cannibalistic. And listen, this is, he, Jesus was saying this even before zombies were cool. But when we partake of the Lord's Supper and we talk about the body and the blood of Jesus, well, we say it in a way that sounds a little bit better. But Jesus said it this way for a purpose, which was to identify what kind of disciples they were. Many said, this is too hard. And in verse 66, John 6, 66, interestingly enough, marks a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. For they turned away and went back and walked with him no more. And that phrase, went back or turned back, actually means to go to the back of the crowd. Those who were so eager, those who were in the front of the crowd, were the first to fall away when presented with something that was too difficult. Well, notice in your notes, many who are eager fall away when things become too difficult to understand or do because they're not genuine. How many people maybe that you have seen maybe come get excited about Jesus or even excited about church only to fall away when things become a little bit too difficult or things do not go their way. They may be like the ones whom Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4, 16 and 17 says this. It says, Others like the seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. There's another group, or at least one in that group, that we're going to call that we read about the deceiver or the deceivers. It was clear that some, there were some who did not believe. In fact, verse 64 that we read a moment ago, it says, Jesus knew those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. We read through verse 69. There are two more verses in that chapter, verses 70 and 71. It says this, it said, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. I was asked recently, uh, do we believe that only Baptists are going to heaven? My answer was, not only do we not believe that only Baptists are going to heaven, but not all the Baptists are going to make it. 
Because we understand it's not about being Baptist, but it's understand it is by grace through faith in Jesus and giving your heart and your life to Him. Have you ever heard somebody explain Judas's actions a little bit like this? Maybe by saying that he was well-intentioned, but he was just misguided. Or Judas was trying to go ahead and force Jesus to get, set up his earthly kingdom. I've heard it explained that way, why Judas did what he did, but that's not how John explains it here in this gospel. As he writes, Jesus said, one of you is a devil, meaning slander or false accuser. Satan sometimes operates by using those who look like Christians and sound like Christians to work his purposes to seek to stop kingdom work. We first want to be sure that Satan is not using us. Not using the things that we're doing or the things that we say and or say that we believe in order that might thwart God's purposes or his kingdom work. In fact, we want to be in on God's work. But also you want to be on the lookout for how Satan would deceive you. Sure, there could be so-called disciples in the Christian church that talk a good talk, look like Christians, but are being used to deceive others and to appoint people maybe even to good things, but not necessarily to kingdom work. There are lots of groups out there. Some of them are cults. Some of them are sects, S-E-C-T-S. Some even call themselves a part of a church who sound Christians. So use some of the words and the phrases perhaps that we use. Sometimes they're great moral people and have a great family values, but are being used to deceive people about the real good news of the gospel. They're pointing sometimes to something else. And sometimes people are simply misguided and they need the truth. Well, let me give you three questions to help you. Maybe to be able to distinguish those who are telling the truth and those who are not. Here's the first question. What do you believe about the Bible? What do you believe about the Bible? It is, is it the only truly inspired authoritative word of God? The only thing that we can read and look at and hold with our hands that we know is truth. Second question is, well, how, do you, how do people get to heaven? How do people get to heaven? Jesus said, I am the way and the only way. If anybody's preaching a gospel other than finding their way to God or to heaven than through the cross and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's a false gospel. What do you believe about Jesus Christ, the Son of God? What do you believe about Jesus? Is Jesus God incarnate the only one? Is he the second person of the Trinity? In every way we understand that Jesus is God. The Gospel of John quotes 23 times in which Jesus used the two words of identification saying, I am. Without a doubt, a pointing to the Old Testament passage about uh, Moses at the burning bush when the Lord revealed himself the name of Yahweh, when Moses asked him, who will I say sent me? And he says the name, I am. Seven times this gospel, it's used with a title that describes his salvation relationship. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. And in the same chapter, he says, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. It speaks of Jesus' divinity and also the salvation that he offers for each one of us. Those are six, the very first ones found in this chapter. Where verse 35 is the first time that he says it. It's quoted more than once, but he says, I am the bread of life. And though Judas did not walk away with the rest of the crowd, he never digested the bread of life. So what do we do about the deceivers that are out there, even amongst us who are without the real gospel? Well, we do need to be sure that we identify what we believe about the Word of God. 
about the only way to heaven and about Jesus, who is the Son of God. We trust the Holy Spirit to continue to reveal to us the truth in these things and how we might be able to reveal it to others. But understand, most important is not that we know the facts. Most important is that we have partaken, is that we have spiritually digested and we have a relationship with Jesus. There's a third group we don't want to miss here. It's the good group. It's the most important group, I guess, besides Jesus being in that story. That's the dedicated. Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, after all had fallen away, do you also want to go away? Peter spoke up for the 12, not knowing that there was a deceiver in the group, and said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The dedicated true disciple know there's life in no other, so there's no one else or nowhere else to go but to go to Jesus and to follow him. It's the picture of a true disciple. So there's an obvious lesson here for us. What kind of disciple are you? Well, certainly you don't want to be a deserter that as soon as things come up that are hard to understand or things that are hard to do, that we bail out. We certainly don't want to be a deceiver like Judas to betray Christ or deceiving ourselves or others or just keeping, just talking a good talk but not truly living for him or knowing him. But may we be the dedicated true disciple who knows of nothing else but to follow Jesus and be involved in his good work so that we can proclaim like Peter did in verse 69, we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I hope it's your decision today. Of these three kinds of disciples, you want to be the dedicated true disciple. Let's go just a little bit deeper, or maybe a lot deeper, because we find in this passage the description of a genuine true disciple. And these are, I want you to see these elements to see if these are, one, if they're true in you and true in us. Maybe there's one or more of these that need to be strengthened. So are you a true disciple who's growing, serving, and sharing? Because as a true disciple, you abide in Christ. As a true disciple, you abide in Christ. We, we talked about Jesus being the bread and those who in Christ eat of his body, drink of his blood. This is an analogy. Just like eating and drinking are necessary for physical life, so is faith in Jesus necessary for eternal life and life in Christ. And daily walking in him is necessary for spiritual health and growing. Jesus has been compared to the manna that came down from heaven when the Israelites were in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 16, it says it came down and it fell on the ground and it was like fine flakes on the desert floor. And the Israelites saw it and they called out, what is it? What is it? Thus they called it manna, the Hebrew name for what is it? Well, he's like manna in that Jesus is the gift of God from heaven. But Jesus proclaims he's not like that manna because all those who ate in the wilderness, all they, those became hungry again and they all died in the wilderness. But if we abide in Christ and he abides in us, then not only do we have to die, we do not have to die without Jesus. We can live today and eternally with him. We don't have to wander in a spiritual wilderness, but by abiding in Christ, you are able to live a promised land type life with Jesus being the center of all that we do that has nothing or little to do with food, nothing or little to do with uh, physical success or even health. But as living that kind of life, it's a life that is in an all-out pursuit of Him. And if all you're looking for is to be able to put food on your table every night, be able to feed your family, which is probably what all they were looking for, those who are not genuine believers, well, then you'll be hungry again, and that'll be your main concern. 
Or if all you're worried about are the pursuits of this world, the materials of this world, the things that this world can provide, well, you'll be left empty. But if we are abiding in Christ, you understand that then those things become secondary. We'll still become physically hungry again. We'll still need to provide for our families and do all of these things. But those things become insignificant as Jesus becomes our number one priority. So also as a true disciple, you accept your mission. I've read this passage dozens of times probably. I've wondered why Jesus seems to get so graphic. Let's admit it's a hard passage to understand. At least that's what the crowd said. And the word hard means not just hard to understand, but hard to accept because even if they understood it, they were not willing to follow and to accept or do. However, Jesus does explain clearly what he means if we pay attention, but even when you do not quite understand, you can still trust him. If I abide in Christ and he is in me, then there's no distinction in God's mission and my mission, which reminds us that being a disciple has to do with going to work for him, being on mission for him, so if every time that you come to worship or every time you get along with God, all that you come with is a bib to be able to be fed, well, you need to come with work gloves on because we recognize that we're going to be giving something to do. We're going to be on mission. We're going to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus. Even when it's hard to understand, even, we, even when it's hard to do, even when things in this life become tough, we recognize that we're still on mission just like Abraham was on mission when he was told to take his son Isaac to be sacrificed, just like Moses was on mission when he went out, crossed the Red Sea and into the desert with no food and water, just like David was on mission when he came to fight Goliath, when, just like Gideon was on mission when he was told to fight the vast host of the Midianites with only 300, just like Paul was on mission, even though he was stoned and beaten and shipwrecked, even just like the Writer of this gospel, John, was on mission even though he was on the Isle of Patmos. The list could go on and on. Or like the 12 in this chapter who continued to follow Jesus, even when it was no longer popular and the mission was hard to do, if not hard to understand. Except the mission of a disciple, which is doing whatever the master requires. But also as a true disciple, you acknowledge salvation's gift. We serve Jesus not so that we will keep our salvation, but because... We recognize salvation's free gift by the Lord Jesus. Now understand this passage in John 6 does not teach that the Lord has predestined some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. But we do understand because of the sovereignty of God that we are part of those in which Jesus has revealed himself to us and he wants all to come to know him and believe in him by grace through faith. In fact, we might remember our one of our main passages in Ephesians in the month of January was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We're saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves. Not of ourselves, but the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. In fact, the Bible tells us true disciples persevere to the end. We're overcomers who persevere to the end. Not because of how good we are, not because we just decide that's what we're going to do. But it's because once we come into the family of God, God's not going to let go of us. In fact, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 97, verse 10, those who know you, Lord, trust in you, will trust you. You do not abandon anyone who comes to you. Such our life should be a life of a testimony of gratitude and praise for what God hath done. But also as a true disciple, you adopt a plan. As a true disciple, you adopt a plan for knowing more of Jesus and making Jesus known. Now the word 
disciple means learner. When Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He had a plan. The plan was to stay at the feet of Jesus, to continue to learn and grow, to be more like him. And because of that plan, these genuine disciples turned the world upside down with the good news of the gospel. Not the 5,000 or more who may have come to have been part of that crowd that followed Jesus, but now this small group. Every gardener knows sometimes you've got to prune away for there to be more and better growth. Jesus was left with a much smaller group, but they were going to proclaim the real gospel. Do you have a plan to grow and to be more like Jesus? As a church, we do take some responsibility. We want to be able to give you the tools in which will help you to be able to come and to grow in Christ. We want you to be able to see the church as helpers and guides along the way. The things that we do from worship to small groups to ministry and missions, all things that will help us to be able to grow in Christ. Sometimes we blame the church. Well, the church not doing all that they need to be doing. The majority of the crowd left Jesus and decided they were no longer going to follow him. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't Jesus' fault. And the ones who did make the right choice adopted what plan? To stay at the feet of Jesus. Will you adopt a plan to stay at the feet of Jesus and grow? It's going to have to do with personal Bible study. It's going to have to do with prayer. It's going to have to do with worship, gathering together with others for worship and fellowship and ministry as well, and sharing the real gospel with people who need to know it. That's discipleship. It is growing so that we might be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Two men worked for the gas company in New York City. One was in his 20s, another in his 40s. And after they read the last gas meter for that day, they were in the alley in the inner city. And the younger man had said to the quote-unquote older man, 40's not old, but had said to the older man, said, uh, I always said, said that he could outrun him. His last gas meter of the day said, let's race back to the truck. And there they were in an all-out sprint to come back out of that alley to the truck. And suddenly they heard behind them someone running up behind breathing really hard to look. It was a 72-year-old woman that was catching up with them and about to pass them. They stopped as soon as they saw her and asked her, said, are you okay? What are you doing? She said, why are you running? She said, there I was at my kitchen window and I saw two gas company employees look at a water meter and suddenly began to run. I figured I better get out of here. And she gave it all she had. When it comes to following Christ and discipleship, whether anyone else follows or all turn away, we better drop everything and give it all we've got for the privilege of being a part of the eternal things of a holy and everlasting God. Would you agree this is kind of a hard passage to understand at first? We knew that Jesus often shared parables that only some could understand. He would sometimes share something that was difficult to follow that would cause some to turn away but others to follow Jesus. In fact, we understand the New Testament tells us the cross is a stumbling block to those who are perishing, but a salvation to all those who come to place their faith in Him. Jesus knew this teaching would offend many, but its explanation would help all who believe. So I want you to be clear. Eat the flesh. Drink the blood. Is a metaphor for I'm all in. Genuine faith. And Jesus explains it in verse 63. He says, the words that I have spoken are spirit and life. It's not about the physical, but about the spiritual. Though Jesus did literally give a flesh and blood sacrifice. And his flesh and blood are necessary. If I were to put steak and potatoes before you today, 
Oh, I know. Listen, we only got a couple of more minutes, so stick with me, even though I'm mentioning lunch. If I were to put steak and potatoes before you, there's something you really like. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to stare at it? Are you going to hold it? Are you going to touch it? Are you going to take a picture of it? I know some of you are going to put, your, put it on Facebook before you eat it. Please send me some more pictures of what you're about to eat. I cannot get more enough of those, you understand. But I convince people who put their picture of their food on Facebook before they eat it, they're not all that hungry. Now, if I put something for you today, what are you going to do? You're going to eat it. It's going to become part of you. Well, Jesus is in you and you are in Christ. He cannot live on the peripheral and be your Savior and your Lord. And the eating metaphor of genuine faith is you staking all that you have in Jesus. Let me show you the benefits that that includes. We understand that it includes the benefit of life, verse 53, which is repeated several times. So you may just want to write these down, but rather than looking them up, but it says, unless you drink my blood, unless you eat my flesh, you have no life at all. And just in case you missed it in verse 54, he says that one of the benefits include eternal life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have it and not have eternal life, but all those who do will be raised on the last day. And he says, and he talks about his truth. Flesh that you eat, blood that you drink of Jesus is truth. Then he says it again in verse 56, just in case you missed it. He says, all those who eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, he abides in me and I in him. You don't believe me? Jesus said it. It is the real good news of the gospel. It is what's found in his word and Jesus proved it. So I'm going to ask you the same question that Jesus asked the disciples because many have turned away. Will you also turn away as well? Or will you give your heart and life to Jesus for the very first time if you have not yet received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Or will you devise a plan to stay at the feet of Jesus? Understanding all are invited. But now that you've heard the real gospel, you're thinking, this, you're making the decision, this is not for me. This is not the direction. You know, you probably could find a church that's preaching and teaching a different gospel. It might be where you want to be next week. But for all those who want to be a part of the real gospel, a part of sharing with others the real gospel, inviting more, compelling people to come and be a part of the kingdom, well, if I still have a job, I'll be here with you next week in the weeks to come, and we'll continue to do this together. Let's bow. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We recognize how the Lord wants to continue to help us to grow in Christ and as genuine believers to make a distinction that we're all in and following our Lord and Savior, that every day that we give over to you, we thank you for what Jesus has done, the sacrifice that he has made that is shown in this scripture so that we might be able to have life and eternal life, might be able to know the truth be a part of the work that is taking place. And we thank you for your presence in us today. Father, we pray if there's one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation, that they may be ready to call upon you. But Father, may we as a church stay at the feet of Jesus. May we not move. May you continue to use us. Help us to make that decision that this passage requires to follow you and not turn away. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen.